Jack. Now I know I'm new to this group and everything, but isn't this the place where everybody starts jumping up and down and hugging each other? Welcome to Tesla Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog, second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, once again, the penny to my Desmond. Penny's boat! This week, we're talking about the end of season four. There's no place like home, parts two and three. First impressions. I loved every part of this finale. I have a question for you, Tessa. Yes. What's an anthurium? I have no idea. They're pink in my imagining. All right. Maybe they have like a snapdragon look. A snapdragon. That, that's what I imagine when I heard him say anthurium. All right. No idea. As you as you can guess, we're going to start off by talking about the orchid, the Dharma Initiative Station that is clearly just a greenhouse. Once inside, finally. We get the return of Dr. Hallowax. I like that it said tutorial 606. <laughs> like it's videotape time. I missed the videotapes. I missed the weird institutional corporateness of Dharma initiative orientation tapes. Right, because and and as you know, this is one of my complaints is that we I want more of the Dharma Initiative. That's, I want more videos. Well, you, I'm sad this know, is six of six. You mentioned while we were watching the episodes about the and and you've you've started calling them for lack of a better term the indigenous people. It's actually just the others is what we could call them. Right. But you seem to be more interested in the others. I'm more interested in the Dharma Initiatives. This was nice for me. Now we'll get to the others. What did you take away from this this video? Well. Unfortunately for me, I guess, the island is not a giant turtle like I had previously thought. I was really hoping. Maybe I've just been reading too much Discworld lately, so I had the great Atuan in my mind. You did. I, that's what I really wanted. That's but no, the I knew exactly how they were going to move the island as soon as we saw this video. As soon as they were like, okay. the rabbit disappears for a second. I was like, yep, 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 yep. So are we time traveling? Yes, we are time traveling. So into the future, I am assuming. It could be the past. Okay. I don't know. Maybe right. the next season will be Jurassic World. Who knows? Into the unknown. Into the unknown. But yes. yeah, as soon as they would, he explained what they were doing with the bunny rabbit, although I was afraid for the bunny rabbit for a little while, no bunnies were harmed in the time traveling of this episode. All right. So we'll come back to the orchid, but let's now go to... Are Anthurium's a kind of orchid? don't know. There was a surprising lack of orchids in that greenhouse. Anyway, continue. Welcome to Tessa Talks About Herbology. <laughs> Let's go to the helicopter for a little bit, shall we? Now, we've got, we've got as, as Tessa calls Kimi, Bane. We saw at the end of the last episode that the others have come in contact with Saeed and Kate. What we find out here is that they've struck a bargain to jointly take down Kimi. So they do so. Alpert shoots him. We assume he's dead. Jack, Sawyer, Hurley, Said, and Kate are on the helicopter, and they're leaving. Cool, right? The music here is so uplifting. Like, it's all framed like 
finally, it's over. There's this joy. There's this sense of relief, which provides this really interesting tension with the knowledge we have that, no, something is going to go terribly wrong between now and the three years in the future flash forwards that we've been seeing. So it is interesting the way that this episode manages to manipulate your emotions for these characters while also reminding you that things are going to go horribly wrong. Right. And I mean, because we're on the helicopter, fortunately, we have a good guy. Good guy, Sawyer. How did I come... 180 degrees around on Sawyer. It was really funny because while we were watching the episode, Sam was like, don't you feel bad for calling him a jerk? And I'm like, no, I don't. He was a jerk. He's not a jerk anymore. This is some good guy, Sawyer, coming in at the last minute. Does he weigh 200 pounds? No. Because like that's what he said. He's like, I'd, be, I'd feel better if we laid, weighed 200 pounds less. Lapidus says that. Sorry. Because that's what Lapidus says. It, he'd feel better if they weighed 200 pounds less and Sawyer jumps out. What, like 180? Maybe? Uh, if he's like know. got a lot of muscle? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And as this is the end of season four, it wouldn't be the end. It wouldn't be Sawyer if he didn't have one good final nickname in the chamber. He calls Lapidus Kenny Rogers. Yeah, Sawyer's interactions here are great. And obviously, I knew he wasn't going to be dead. Like, Sawyer Sawyer can swim. You I know. Have two more seasons of Lost without come Sawyer? On. I don't come think on. so. But I did love his interactions with Hurley, especially in this episode, because it's very clear that they are best friends. He is looking out after Hurley. The scene where Hurley gives him the saltines that he found buried in the woods. They're pretty good. And Sawyer just shrugs and eats one. He's like, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. So, like, uh, this is really great. And I think that Sawyer has resolved a lot of the issues that were causing him to act in certain ways at the beginning of Lost. And now he's very, he might actually be the most empathetic person now on the island. And that's that's some real character growth. So, you know, the fact that he gives, you know, the fact that he sacrifices himself for the others on the helicopter, although let's be honest, he's really doing it for Kate and Hurley. I just... Yeah, I found that to be very compelling. It was a very great moment. I feel like, although jumping into the water in just your jeans has not got to feel good. No, he's done a lot of jean swimming over the course of the series, though. Uh, it's, wet it's, denim. Not this good. Is, this, is, this is how I know you're not from the South. Have you ever gone swimming in denim? No. Well, I have, but I'm from the South, so. Well, Sawyer is too, apparently. Exactly. Your hair is looking awful blonde nowadays, Sam. Thanks, dude. Of course, the reason for all of this is a hole has been shot in the helicopter and they're going to have to put down on the freighter. Of course, as they're about to put down on the freighter, they are being told in no uncertain terms to not land. But let's not talk about that right now. Let's talk about the beach. Can you tell me why Charlotte, Miles, and Juliet don't want to leave? Well, Juliet, it's pretty obvious because Juliet, in order to bargain for her safety with the people who were on the plane, said that she would not leave the island until everybody else was off the island. So this is Juliet being a stand-up person, keeping her word, making sure everybody else gets off. I also feel like Juliet feels like she has to atone for a lot of things. And so it makes sense to me that she would be one of the last people to to go. I mean, I think she fully intended to leave, but... It wasn't, she was going to wait. Miles, 
it's hard to know with Miles because he knows a lot of stuff that he shouldn't know. This fe- island feels like a place maybe where he would thrive because he already thinks a lot like Locke and Ben in terms of the fact that the island is this supernatural place and he interacts with it in a supernatural way. So it kind of makes sense that he would want to stay and explore that on the island. Charlotte, we get a really interesting revelation that she was born on the island and and that maybe she stays because she wants to know more about herself. So I think the question about Charlotte right now is, is she a Dharma initiative infant that was taken off the island when Ben took over? Or is she a child of the others? Or, or option C. You mean an other did it with a Dharma initiative employee? Okay, option D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm funny, damn it. (laughs) Okay, so back to the freighter. Something I noticed when I was putting the notes together for this episode, a lot of this two-hour finale, you know, for all the pondering, meandering, thinking about things that happens earlier in the season, this finale is go, 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 action, action, action. Oh, yeah, so much stuff is shoved into these two episodes. And this happened, and then this happened. It almost feels like a series of unfortunate events with Jack at the middle of it. Like, Jack has to go get Hurley. Then they have to fight this trap. They didn't do nearly as much running this week. Yeah, then they have to get on the helicopter. Then the helicopter is leaking fuel, and then the boat's going to blow up. Like, it's just this whole, like... Like, they cannot catch a break, these people on the helicopter. Yeah, and I think that's really, the freighter really brings that home, because it's like, okay, there's a bomb on the freighter. Well, we have to disarm the the bomb. We can't disarm the bomb. Well, what if we make the battery real cold? Well, that'll be fine, but what's the trigger? I don't know. It's remote. What's the trigger? I don't know. Let's make the battery. It just keeps going on and on and on. And then, then we find out that Bane himself that's what he had on the arm that's right yeah it turns out that well first of all i have to say when he like burst into the orchid station you have to remember that i said oh shit it's pain (laughs) you'll have to you'll have to bleep that out but then i like that he tells us what the dial is it's a heart rate monitor i was really hoping that it was gonna like increase his bicep size or something like you turn up the 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 (laughs) dial and he gets like more muscular but yeah, it's a heart rate monitor. Ingenious, bad guy stuff. I get it. John tries to talk him down. Ben does not. No, he does not. And we get some intercut scenes of things happening. Of course, everything's out of time. So, you know, it things are really sneaky. But basically, what it comes down to is Sun and Jen are forcibly separated as the Oceanic Six get on the helicopter and take off. The next thing we know, Ben does a super good job of negotiating and keeping their captive alive. Kimi dies. The freighter goes boom. And there's one thing we see and one thing we have to speculate on. The first one. So... Yeah, this reaction from Ben is great because I 
said this a couple times while we were watching this, and I think I may have mentioned it last week as well. Locke and Ben have had this real frenemy relationship that has been characterized by jealousy, but understanding, but manipulation, but lashing out at each other, but they're the only ones who get it. And so like, it's been really interesting to see that develop, especially over this season as Locke becomes closer to Ben and perhaps Ben becomes a little closer to Locke, or at least Ben starts to accept Locke's role in the island and in this whole narrative. But, and we see that in this episode because Ben and Locke have this interaction where Ben is like, you're the one now. Like, you're you're the person who's going to lead all of these people. Like, you're going to be the one that the island that the island chooses. And like, seeing Ben accept this seems like real character growth for Ben, who for the most part has been a pretty static character. And so that's been that was very interesting to see that interaction. It was hilarious the way when Ben walked up to the orchid station and he was like, you couldn't find it, could you? And Locke was like, no, I don't know what anthuriums look like. Like that whole interaction was great. You mentioned it had a real Moon's Haunted quality about it, which I I found very funny. Yeah, that whole interaction was great. But then right when we think like, oh, like they understand each other, they're, they're friends now, they have this mutual respect for each other, they're on the same side, Ben goes... And essentially, although they don't know exactly how it plays out, he essentially kills the people on that boat. He Obviously, they don't know that some of them got off. But the idea is, as far as Ben's concerned, those people don't matter. And that's why he says so. Because for him, the only people who matter are him and John, right? Because they are the people who have been chosen by the island. He does not care about Jack. He does not care about Kate, Hurley, Saeed, any of them. And so... It really draws the sharp contrast again between these two characters because John, for all the ways that he will manipulate the others, will put them in danger in order to solidify this narrative of him being the special person, the main character, he still cares enough about them to not want to blow them up. So, you know, it it's interesting that this episode really shows us what they could be like together as friends and then at the end pulls them apart to show us their differences. So That was a lot. Right. <laughs> and so Ben not caring if they die. Let's let's try to figure out if we have some indications of who they is. We know that Sawyer and Juliet and Claire and Charlotte and Miles are still on the island. Of course, Ben and Locke are too. Now, that means that on the freighter, we have Rose and Bernard. Wait, do they leave? I thought they stayed behind with Juliet. Did they? We didn't actually see them get on the boat. Well, see, that's the question. Who is on the freighter when it explodes and who isn't? We know Michael's there. We know Jin's there. We assume Daniel's there. Yeah. We All we saw was him taking off from the island on the third trip. Right. So you, so in your mind, Rose and Bernard are unaccounted for. Right. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were still on the island because they had decided to stay on the island. So I don't think they would have left. I'd be very surprised if they did. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Daniel also got caught up on the island or he's lost at sea. I don't know. Well, the real question here is, is Jin dead? Yeah. So 
as far as I know, the only two people that I say this, like other people were on that boat, like other other people who were part of the the flight. But the only two people who are main characters that we care and know about are Michael and Jin. I didn't see a body. That's all I'm going to say. We know that in TV shows, if you don't see a body, there's always a chance that that person is not actually dead. And it's further complicated by the fact that in Lost, dead people don't always stay dead. So it's it's going to be interesting. Although you do get that scene when Michael is trying to freeze the battery of Christian Shepard appearing and saying, okay, you're done now. Yeah. So that might indicate that Michael can now die. I don't know. We, again, we don't see it happen. So it's hard to know if, if he's dead or not. So that brings us back to the orchid. Now we're ready to talk about one of my favorite things from the entire series. Oh, God. That's right. I'm talking about the donkey wheel. Oh, God. I don't... That's really the thing you were going to yell at me? Yeah. All you right. think If you think we're done with the donkey wheel, friend, oh, God. you don't even know anything. Oh, God. Oh, indeed. Oh, God. Although I do love to get to the donkey wheel, that they had to once again take a piece of Dharma equipment and blow it up in order to make it work against its intended purpose. This is this is true engineering in motion, people. <laughs> now, Ben turns the donkey wheel, the place it's it's we're on a tropical island, but the place where the donkey wheel is is very cold. And I know what you're thinking. This explains the polar bear. To which I tell you, yeah, once they explain any of it, and like hieroglyphic-like things. But Ben turns the wheel, there's a giant golden light, and island's gone. Island's gone. Island's gone, Moon's guys. Moon's haunted. That's right. It's gone. Again, I knew that this was going to happen as soon as I saw that video in the first episode, but it was really cool to see the entire island just like vanish especially because no one seems to know what happened. Like you can see Jack not wanting to give Locke anything. He's like, he did not move the Island. Nothing happened. And Hurley is just like, well, how would you explain it then? So like, it's really funny that everyone has like this different reaction to what happens, but yeah, as far as we know, the only people who are now out of the Island who are still alive are the Oceanic Six, Desmond and Lapidus. Speaking of happy endings, guess whose boat they find? Penny's boat! It's Penny's boat. I actually screamed that when, as soon as we saw her leaning over the rail. I yelled, Penny's boat! And like pumped my arms in the air. Aww. Love wins! Something goes right for Desmond once in his life. Love wins. It's like the Washington Generals. The Harlem Globetrotters let him have one win. Why not? They'll stop trying eventually if you don't let them win once in a while. And when he's like, I'll never let leave you again. Ugh. Tears. Tears. Yeah. I do have thoughts about Desmond. Well, since uh, we are about ready to go three years into the future, let's talk about Desmond first. I have some thoughts about Desmond. So I really loved that... This is, this is Tessa's Desmond thoughts. <laughs> podcast within a podcast. So... I thought it was very funny the way that Desmond in this episode took Saeed's usual role of the Manic Pixie dream engineer because he suddenly had like six months of demolition expertise under his belt. 
And so that was really fun. The way he's like, I learned enough to blow things up, but not safely. But he knew enough to be like, that's a tripwire. This is a blah, blah, blah wire. I don't know. I don't know anything about detonation. But like, that was very funny to me. Which, by the way, as I said during the episode, while he's taking over Saeed's role, Saeed takes over the role of trap. That's right. A thirst trap. Uh... Where's that air horn now, Sam? You know what? Get your own air horn app, and then you can make it sound whenever you want. But until then. (laughs) Anyway, back to Desmond. So I had this thought, too, while I was watching it, and especially when he says, like, I can't go back to the island. Like, as long as Penny's out there, I have to keep looking for her. And, like, when he sees her finally and they have their whole, like, reunion I was really thinking about the ways in which Desmond's character arc reminds me a lot of John Wick's character arc. Not in the badass, like, killing people, assassin sort of way, but in the way that John Wick wants to stay alive. Like, his goal in life is to survive, so that way one person remembers his dead wife right? Like the whole idea that she lives on in memory. He says this, he lays it out in the third movie very beautifully. Uh, Keanu Reeves does a really good job of, of explaining this and making you believe it through the character. But this idea that she lives on through his memory. And so as long as he's alive, someone remembers her. And so she lives on. And so that's why he survives or that's why he wants to survive is sort of this dedication to the memory of his dead wife. Desmond actually kind of reminds me of this, the idea that he has to stay alive to get back to Penny. Like, to him, that is his goal in life. That is his dedication, is to be with the person that he loves. And he will not let anything get in his way, whether that be exploding boats, time travel, bunkers, the ocean, like, the others trying to kill him on multiple occasions. Like, he has this like single-minded focus on this one person. And it's like he's dedicated his life to that person, which should not be surprising considering the fact that he comes from like that religious like dedication background. Right. She's also hot, so... Oh, yeah. I mean, much hotter than God, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe God is a hot woman. Okay. (laughs) Before we make our jump three years into the future, anything you want to say about the island? Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that I really like that Locke is the new Ben. The last thing we see of him after the island moves, or I guess right before the island moves, is him rejoining the others and Alpert and finally taking his place as leader of the others. This feels very... This feels like it's closing a story arc for Locke, especially since we've been told that the others were originally looking for him. It feels very good. There's a lot of closure, it feels like, here. Yes, he has finally ascended to his proper title of main character. Main character. The other thing I wanted to say was about Jacob and Ben. So this came up while we were watching it because... The idea that Ben, since he's the one who moves the island, he can never come back to the island, which I have lots of thoughts about time travel and what happens to Ben that I want to talk about when they are confirmed next season. But the idea, I can't believe it just took me until now when Ben was turning the donkey wheel 
and saying, are you happy, Jacob? The idea of exiling someone has a lot of biblical feelings about it, especially because Jacob and Benjamin in the Bible are father and son. Like Benjamin is the the second favorite son, right? After Joseph. And Joseph goes into exile, not sent away by his father, but by his brothers. So there is this like biblical theme of a father, like exiling their favorite son or like a prodigal son here. And I, I can't believe it took me that long to make that connection. But that did also feel very affecting. The fact that Benj- Benjamin, the fact that Ben had to accept the fact that he was no longer the main character and that he had a role to play, but that role was to leave the thing that he loved. That was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Could you look me in the eye and tell me that you're happy now? <laughs> yes. There was a lot of those feelings. Seriously. So it turns out the flash forwards we've been seeing are up to three years in the future. In fact, what we have seen are things that have taken place over the course of three years. But the first flash forward we saw at the end of season three is three years in the future. And we get to see the rest of that scene now. Yeah, that scene wasn't over. Yeah, so let's just run through the big points of these flash forwards and we'll just get your reaction to each one of them. All right, I'm ready. Let's start with Kate will not go back. And she tells Jack that to his drunk ass face. And that's that's good. She reverses her car to go back to tell him no. Probably thinks about running him over. Anyway, Kate won't go back, and that's good because Claire does not want her to. Well, to be clear, Claire doesn't want her to bring Aaron back. I'm not sure Claire cares if Kate goes back. But, I mean, it's it's interesting Claire because... Or, so Claire or... So, does Claire refer to Kate as the dingo? <laughs> I mean, she is Australian. I know. I think this is actually very interesting because it occurred to me while watching this that Kate's life is the best out of any of them. Like she had the worst life before the island, right? She was on the run from the law. She'd just been captured. But now she has a kid. She has her freedom, you know, within the state. Not bad. She has a nice house from that settlement. Like, She's living the good life. The worst thing that's happened to her since the island is Jack fucking around. Sorry, Jack messing around, right? And so, like, she she has no reason to want to go back to the island. Her life is pretty good. I Everybody mean, else she does have a reason. Well, Sawyer, sure. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it was wet interesting. Wet jeans, Sawyer. <laughs> wet jeans, Sawyer. That sounds dirty. That sounds dirty as all get out. And that's probably how she wants it. Oh, God. So, like, it's interesting that everybody else's lives have gone horribly. And Jack says that. Like, nothing's been right since we left. Yet, for Kate, everything has gone really well for the most part. And so, like, it makes sense that she would be the most reluctant to go back to the island. I mean, even Sun, who has done better than perhaps any of the others, she still misses Jin, right? Like, she's still separated from her person. So she has more of a reason to want to go back than Kate does. Okay, that makes sense. Meanwhile, in Hurley Town... Ugh, Hurley. There are two things here, so let's just start with the first one. Taller 
not Ghost Walt, Walt comes to visit Hurley. And it's great because it's three years in the future. It's totally cool that he looks nothing like he did on the island. We're not trying to pretend. This is just him three years later. Neat. I really wish that he would be more in the next season. I hope. Fingers crossed. So what's the deal here? Walt is disappointed that nobody came to see him. (laughs) And he wants to know what happened to his father. Because, yeah, he comes back to see Hurley. And Hurley tells him he exploded and is dead. No. He did not tell him that. Hurley does not tell him that. Hurley tells him that they had to lie. Because Walt, that's what Walt says. Like, why are you lying? And Hurley says they had to lie to protect everyone they left behind. And Walt was like, including my dad. Hurley's like, yes. Which is obviously a lie. But. Of omission. Right. But like. From a certain point of view. TM Ben Kenobi. It makes sense. Do you want to traumatize a traumatized child even further? I mean, um, we send them to school. <laughs> so. 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 But yeah, it was really cool seeing Walt again. Again, I hope he's in the next season, but it was also cool seeing his grandmother and knowing that at least for now he's taken care of. Although he still doesn't have Vincent. We forgot that Vincent's still on the island. Yeah, he is. I hope that dog does well. Okay. Does he go totally feral by the next time we see him? Dogs don't go feral. That's a cat. Come on, man. Anyway. Maybe he makes best friends with like a jungle cat. Now you're just projecting. Anyway, Hurley gets a second visitor, Saeed, who's going, who tells him, I want to take you somewhere safe. And because it's Saeed, Hurley lets him, but not before he finishes his game with Mr. Echo. Yeah, Hurley is straight up seeing all the dead people now. Like, Sixth Sense. He is Haley Joel Osmenting it. Yeah, and so again, it's hard to know. Is he really insane, or is the island just sending all of these people to talk to him? Hard to know. He does also have one of the best lines of these two episodes when Saeed tells him that people are, like, watching him, and Hurley says, I'm already talking to dead people. I really don't need paranoia, which is a great, great Hurley line. And I have to say, we get more Bond Saeed. I actually started singing, like, the Bond theme song because he, like, asks the guy out front for the time and then shoots him with the silencer, and he's in his his suit and his slicked-back hair. Like, he looks so great. This is now becoming the Saeed Appreciation Podcast. Oh, uh, that's what it's been from the beginning. That hair, though. Uh, anyway, that brings us to Sun, who is in London confronting Charles Widmore. Now, the guy out front that uh, Saeed just killed, right? Yeah. That's somebody from Widmore, right? I would assume. I mean, it has to be, right? I, I mean, I would assume, especially if uh, Abaddon is working for him. Right. So, okay. Son has some fighting words for Charles Widmore. She and that's does. all we see about that. What's what's up with that? She specifically offers to team up with him to find the island, I assume, because she says we both have something in common and gives him her business card. Is Sun going dark? Is she becoming a villain? I would be very dark, interested in this. Dark this is a, Sun. This is another layer to this character that I was not expecting because they've played her very like goodness and light. Like it, on that spectrum we talked about a couple seasons ago of like you have this 
the spectrum of characters from like lighter to darker, but most of the characters exist in this place of gray. Sun, I would have definitely put on the lighter end of the spectrum up until now, but it seems like Jin's death has really caused her to go full, full villain mode in the, some ways. The dark sun rises. The dark sun rises. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So that brings us to the big mystery of the season. Who's in the box? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not Gwyneth Paltrow. Jack breaks into the mortuary or and whatever excuse for a mortuary that place was and opens the box, but not before he's confronted with Ben, who very much wants to make sure that they can go back to the island. All of them. He says all of them have to go together. And, and as Jack turns to leave with him. He says, no, all of you. Camera pans. Who's inside the box? John John Locke. Locke. Except it's not John Locke, it's Jeremy Bentham. So Jeremy Bentham is a name that comes up a lot in this episode. People say like, oh, I talked to Jeremy Bentham. Like he's insane. And then they're like, oh, he died. And this suddenly, this makes sense. I mean, I think I said John Locke's name when we originally were looking at the box, because I was saying of all the people they could know that Kate would say, why would I go to his funeral? It would probably be someone like John. So that made sense to me. That was a big reveal. The Jeremy Bentham thing was interesting because that is the name of the the social scientist that came up with the panopticon. The thing to think about here is that John Locke is known for his belief in the social contract. As you know, seeing the flashbacks, uh, you know, his relationship with his dad and, you know, other things that have happened throughout his life, John Locke is somebody who believes that fair is fair. And that is one iteration of the social contract. John Locke believed that human nature, he was a big, he, he did not agree with Hobbes, that human nature was a giant trash fire. He did think that, we did have tendencies towards trash fire. Dumb, I guess. Well, that's why we needed the social contract. Right. And But he believed with something like the social contract that human nature could go back to its resting condition, which is reason and tolerance, which is really neat because he was a giant racist. Anyway, Jeremy Bentham is the papa of utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is not reason and tolerance. It's not the social contract. It's whatever is best for the most is the best, period. And so if you think about Locke's heel turn, his change from whoever he was at the beginning of the show to the straight-up villain leader on the island, all he's missing is his volcano, that is characterized by a name change from John Locke to Jeremy Bentham, And what Lindelof and Cuse are trying to tell us here is that he has switched his philosophy, his outlook on life from fair is fair to I'm in charge of these people. And if what's good for these people, it's what's good for all of you. I don't care. Which totally explains Ben's approach too. He was trying to take care of his people, the others. So he didn't care if those people on the freighter blew up. Locke's becoming this person too. Right, which begs the question of does the island warp people into what it wants it to be, which I think 
is an interesting question. Jeremy Bentham, like I mentioned, also came up with the Panopticon, which was a, a thought experiment of a prison in which the power of the gaze was what kept people in prison, not actually like the guards themselves. And by the way, G-A-Z-E. Yeah, yeah, not... Not the power of the gaze, G G A Y. I mean, as far as we know, he had no problem as with the gaze. As far as we know. But, but like, I, I don't want to explain the whole thing of the Panopticon here. You all can Google it. It's really fascinating if you don't know what it is. He also spent but, years of his life trying to figure out how to implement it practically and couldn't. Well, yeah. But the important thing about the Panopticon is the way that Foucault and then later Foucaultian philosophers adapted it as a way of illustrating disciplinary power the idea that society that everyone looking at you causes you to act in certain ways and not to act in other ways and so that's interesting in of itself because it also links the idea of jeremy bentham to the prison is the island a prison or is it a prison under john locke right aka jeremy bentham is this show going to jump the season? Uh, is this show going to jump the shark next season and introduce cousin Oliver Foucault? I mean, that would be pretty cool if Foucault showed up. No, it would. Yeah, it would. No, no. Yeah, it then would. we'd just be arguing about power and 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 and, and sexuality. And you'd take one look at Hurley and be like, "Bro, I'm sorry about the whole institution thing, but you gotta know." And then <laughs> goes on like a fifty minute. Monologue. I mean, it would just really bring down the pacing of the entire show. Uh, I don't know. I love Fou- I love me some Foucault. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I thought this was very brilliant way of ending the season. It perfectly set up the next season. I mean, Jack says that Jeremy Bentham told him that bad things happened after he left. And that's why, you know, bad things happened after he left. And it was all his fault. Like, all of that's going to be very interesting to see what happened on the island, how far it traveled in time. I'm I'm very interested in what happens after this. And I really like the idea that we are finally, finally breaking the mold of this show. Like, th- these last two episodes were wild. And I, I can't wait for it to embrace that feeling. I hope they embrace that feeling. So, one thing before we go that I do want you to think about, going back to Locke. What if the island doesn't warp you or change you at all? What if it just gives you the opportunity to be who you really are? That's a fair point. That would be a very that would be a very Lord of the Flies take. The idea that like if you remove if you remove disciplinary power from the equation, well, think that about, you will start acting in ways that you would normally never act in. Well, so you can think about Jack, for instance. Jack, Jack's hero god complex comes completely unhinged on the island, and we're able to see how that kind of thing isn't completely destructive, but it can never be completely... It can be selfless. It can be helpful. It can be heroic. It can be good leadership, but it never will be those things all the time. There's always that dark side, and we see that from him. It can never be satisfied. Right, and consider Sawyer. Once he's taken away from society and all the things that it believes and all the pressures it puts on him, he turns into a good guy. That's true. Yeah. And now he's on the beach with Juliet drinking some rum. Good times for everybody. Final thoughts. That's it. I I thought this was great. I'm excited to watch the next season. Well... 
She says she's excited, but that's it for a while. Join us next week for Sam Watches Star Trek. Tessa will be taking over as she guides me through season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. You can find me at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, goodbye, John. I'm sorry I made your life so miserable. It was good. You're going to stop it. No, I thought it would just go on.